Good morning, friends. What you seek, you will find. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at what I'm going to call back to the basics. We've been looking at some spiritual laws. They're not exactly doctrines, not exactly duties. They're not exactly promises. They're not exactly rules. But each one of them represents, I think, a major truth that Christ followers need to know. They're kind of like pillars that hold up a large building. As a reminder, here were the first three we covered. One, he is God and we are not. Number two, God doesn't need us, but we desperately need him. And three, what God demands, he supplies. These three lay a a theological foundation that prepares us for everything that follows. And they lead us to three words of response. Submitting, admitting, receiving. We submit because he's God and we're not. We admit that we desperately need him. And we greatly receive what God supplies in order that his righteous demands might be fully met. The third basic summarizes the entire gospel. We're so lost, so sinful, so desperate that if God didn't intervene, we're sunk. But he does. And he gives us whatever we need for salvation, freedom from guilt, forgiveness of our sins, abundant life on earth, and a home in heaven when we die. And since grace is a gift, our most basic response is to gladly receive the gift God offers us. Now, today we're going to turn a corner in our journey, and that fourth basic takes us into the realm of practical Christian living. Sanctification, some people might call. It tells us what you seek, you find. Those five simple words challenge us at the level of personal motivation. In preparing, I was struck by how much the Bible has to say about seeking and finding, especially seeking and finding the Lord. Let me just give you a few examples. Here's Deuteronomy 4, 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. First Chronicles 28, verse 9. As for you, my son Solomon, know that the God of your father, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Or Second Chronicles 26.5, he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. In the book of Psalms, verse, chapter 27, verse 8, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. And then Isaiah 55, verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Moving into the New Testament, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In Luke 11, verses 9 and 10. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open to you. <clears throat> and one more from Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who, guess what, diligently seek him. You know, friends, this list is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, The whole concept of seeking God is an enormous biblical concept that touches our motivation, our priorities, 
how we spend our time, the goals we set in life, our spiritual growth, or the lack thereof. Now, I'd like to summarize what these verses are saying in several simple statements. Uh, Statement number one, everyone seeks something. You know, we're all by nature seeking people. Some people seek for money, some for fame, others for pleasure, self-validation, sexual fulfillment, or others for worldly power. Uh, We may seek a husband or a wife, or we may seek children or a new job or a better education or a new home or new friends or even a new church. The tragedy of our time is that so many people are wasting their lives chasing after three things that can never satisfy, money, sex, and power. We want money, so we sacrifice our families to get it. We want sex, so we sacrifice our morals to get it. We want power, so we sacrifice our friends to get it. And when we finally get it, guess what? It doesn't really satisfy. That's just the way things are in the world. You climb to the top of the heap, only to discover that next year you've got to start all over again. Nothing in this life satisfies forever. Here's the second statement. There is an easy test to find out what you seek in life. Well, it's a test that just tells you very simple. It's kind of foolproof. It's this. you probably heard it before. Tell me how you spend your time and your money, and I'll tell you what you're seeking. Now, you can say anything you like. You can come to church and look very religious, but your time and your money don't lie. I mean, time is life and money is nothing but the time it takes to make the money. I mean, show me your calendar and your checkbook, and I'll show you the truth about your priorities. I can recall reading about a man who looked at his life and concluded that he was just like the professor on Gilligan's Island. He said, quote, the professor knew how to turn banana peels into diesel fuel and could take algae and make chocolate fudge, but he never got around to fixing that hole in the boat so they could get off the island. I, too, spent my life learning to do amazing things that didn't matter, and I ignored the hole in the boat. That's why I'm stuck where I am, end of quote. Here's our third statement. Whatever righteous thing you seek in the spiritual realm, you can have it if you want it badly enough. In Matthew, in the Beatitudes, chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know, some friends, this is one of the most stupendous promises in the Word of God. If you're hungry and thirsty for the righteousness that God provides, you will be filled. Now, let me go out on a limb and make a bold statement. Whatever righteous thing you desire in the spiritual realm, you can have it if you want it badly enough. Now, I don't think we appreciate the importance of that truth. Most of us are about as close to God now as we want to be. We have about as much joy as we want, about as much peace as we want. We're the way we are because that's the way we want to be. Either we're happy that way or we accepted that this is who we are and we're not going to change. For the most part, you are where you are right now because that's where you want to be. If you're hungry for something better from God, you could have it. I mean, if you want it, you could have a closer walk with God. If you want it, you can have a better marriage. If you want to, you can have God's. You can do God's will. If you want to, you can witness for Christ. If you want to, you can learn how to pray. If you want to, you can grow spiritually. If you want to, you can walk in the Spirit. If you want to, you can become a man or woman of God. If you want to, you can change deeply in great habits. And if you want to, you can break destructive patterns of behavior. See, what we seek, we find. This is true in every area and realm of life. Unless we seek, we will not find. And what we seek, for good or ill, we eventually find it. 
Now, our primary problem stems from the excuses we make. We don't change and grow and seek God, and we stay the way we are because that's pretty much the way we want to be. We have learned to live with mediocrity and think things will never change and or we're happy the way we are. Now, I can think of three excuses that keep us trapped, and I've practiced all three of these, believe me. The first is the excuse of self-pity. See, as long as we mope around feeling sorry for ourselves, we can't get better, and we'll be stuck right where we are. The second excuse is the I'm trying excuse. Whenever we say I'm trying, that's just an excuse for not doing what we say we want to do. I mean, we can excuse any sort of non-performance by saying I'm trying. In one of the Star Wars movies, Yoda tells Luke Skywalker to use his powers to do something that seemed impossible. I'll try, said Skywalker. No, said Yoda, do or do not. There is no try. You see, friends, you're either drinking or you're not drinking. You're either reading through the Bible or you're not. You're either paying off your credit cards or you're not. You're either passing geometry or you're not, or you're either losing weight or you're not. You're either cursing and swearing or you're not. You're either using drugs or you're not. You're either being faithful or you're not. You're either forgiving that person or you're not. You're 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 either getting married or you're not. So saying I'm trying is just a weak excuse to take the pressure off yourself. I mean, you think you get credit for doing something that you're really not doing. And in the end, it's a way of deceiving yourself into thinking you've changed when nothing has changed. One thing I've learned is this. The real answer is to admit I am powerless to change myself and that God could and would if he were sought. He'd relieve me of whatever just like that. The third excuse is simply saying I'll never change or I can't change or I don't want to change. If that's your bottom line, you can stop listening to this message right now because I really don't have anything else to say to you. Unless you want to change, you're doomed to stay the way you are. Well, let's wrap this up with a simple question of application. Are you a God-seeking person? How would you answer that? What evidence in your life points in a positive direction? I mean, it's not good enough to be religious or simply busy going to church events. As good as that may be, it's not the same as seeking God with all your heart. I want to ask each of you to do something that might seem a little strange and probably a bit difficult. Go to someone who knows you well and ask this question. Am I a God-seeking person? When you look at my life, do you see the qualities in me of a person who truly seeks God? Now, if you'd really like to make this a fascinating test, ask an unsaved friend or relative that question. You may be surprised at how readily they answer. I mean, unsaved people may not understand the intricacies of our faith, but let me tell you, they know the difference between someone who seeks God and someone who doesn't. Often unbelievers can be less easily fooled than believers. They they don't focus on the outward as much as we might. They can spot a God-seeking heart, even if that's not what they would call it. People who don't know the Lord instinctively recognize a person who truly knows God and seeks him passionately. I mean, this is the question a Buddhist can answer, or a Hindu, or a Muslim, or a Jewish co-worker, or someone who isn't religious at all. Just ask, am I a God-seeking person? They will tell you the truth as they see it. Or if you really want to be daring, ask your husband, or your wife, or your children. 
And I remind you again of the words of Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Just think about that. While he may be found. To those who don't know Jesus, I mean, don't say tomorrow or the day after I'll come to Christ. You need to come now. You need to believe now. Be saved now. You cannot be certain about tomorrow. To those who know the Lord, don't say tomorrow or the day after I'll serve the Lord. No, serve him today. Seek him today. Honor him today. You don't know if you're going to live to see tomorrow come. So what should we do with this truth? If you want a God-seeking heart, where do you begin? Well, let me make three suggestions. Number one, admit your need. You cannot change until you admit that you need to change. If you are happy the way you are, then again, I tell you, you can just click off this message because I have nothing (laughs) to say to you. Uh, But if you're tired of turning banana peels into diesel fuel, while there's a hole in your boat, then pay attention because your life could be radically changed. The second thing is to cry out to God for help. If you need the Lord, cry out to him today. Seek him with all your heart and you will find him. Surround you, And third one is surround yourself with God-seeking people. God-seekers aren't hard to find. Find some friends who truly seek the Lord and glue yourself to them. Go where they go, do what they do, follow their example. Eventually, one of two things will happen. Either they're going to drive you absolutely nuts, or you will leave them, or they will rub off on you, and you will become a God-seeker as well. Fourth, wait on the Lord. This is a hard discipline for most of us. Our message to God is, give me patience and give it to me right now. We want spiritual maturity, and we want it by 11.30 a.m. But we're not accustomed to waiting patiently on the Lord. But let me tell you, friends, waiting has many positive benefits. It purifies our hearts. It increases our longing to know the Lord intimately. As we wait and as we pray, our souls grow hungry to know the Lord. And fifth, spend some time in fasting. That's right, fasting. I believe there's a direct connection between biblical fasting and seeking the Lord. For some, that might mean going without a meal once a week in order to wait on God. I mean, fasting slows us down. It reorients our perspective. It weans us away from our love of the world and puts us in a spiritual position where we can seek God with fewer distractions. Thomas Akempis said, Seek God, not happiness. You know, we often have it backwards. We seek happiness and hope to have God thrown in as a bonus, but we end up with neither. The paradox of the gospel is that when we truly seek God, we find him and we get happiness. That deep fulfillment, that lasting joy, the abundant life as well. But it takes years for many of us to figure that out. Some of us never get it straight. To the very end, we pursue earthly happiness in our own agendas and wonder why life leaves us frustrated and disillusioned. I close with this final thought today. Jesus' appeal is always personal. He never says, come and join the church, or come and be baptized, or come and give money. He simply says, come unto me. When Jesus says you will be filled, he means you will be filled with Jesus himself. If you're hungry, come and eat of the bread of life. If you're thirsty, come and drink of the water of life. If you're weary, come and find rest. If you are guilty, come and be forgiven. If you are far from God, come back home again.
the French philosopher Pascal said there is a God-shaped vacuum inside every human heart. Since, the, since nature abhors a vacuum, if we don't fill it with God, we'll fill it with something else. So many of us have filled our hearts with so much junk food of this world, it's no wonder we're so unhappy. It's no wonder we jump from one job to another or one relationship to another. We're kind of like little children who don't let go to the marble in order to receive a diamond. No, I won't give up my weekend affair for eternal joy, we say. Trade a broken marriage and a failed career for peace and forgiveness? Forget it. Give up my drug addiction and be forgiven for all my sins? No way, man. You say I can replace my anger and bitterness with peace and contentment? I can't take the chance. Sorry. You know, it's no wonder we stay the way we are. We're trapped in the pit of excuses. We'd rather have misery and pain than risk it all on Jesus. Many centuries ago, St. Augustine explained both the problem and the solution. He said, O God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. I'll say it again, friends. You will never be happy until you put God first in your life and then realize there's no second, third, fourth, fifth, and so on. And you can never do that until you surrender your life to Jesus the Christ once and for all. Let me give you some good news. In God's kingdom, everything begins with a seeking heart. Salvation begins with a hungry heart. In the spiritual realm, what you seek is what you find. Until next week, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.